Mark chapter 13. Mark 13, and we are down here at verse 31, 32 last time. We got through verse 31, uh, but we're going to start reading in verse 28 because I'm hoping to finish the chapter. Hello, 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 this uh, evening and uh, just kind of catch some of the stuff here. So we'll start reading in verse 28. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. Now again, the context here, the Lord is going to answer their question of, back up in verse number 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And from verse 5 down to verse 28, he answers their request in reverse order. So he answers with what the sign shall be, and, and by the way, what it will not be, verse 7 there, and when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. The end of verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows, and he goes down really to verse 27, talking about the, uh, the what the signs are. So now he's going to answer the when. And really in verse 28 and following, he's answering the when. And he says there in verse 28, verse 30, so ye in like manner, I'm sorry, verse 29, so ye in like manner when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the door. So if you can, uh, if you can look at the fig tree and you can tell when the seasons are, then when you see all those signs happening, then you, can't, you get an idea of when that's going to take place. And uh, we talked, talked extensively there about that fig tree and what the prophecy preachers and mainline Christianity do and that they fail to recognize what the fig tree represents in the life of Israel, the nation of Israel. And the fig tree, we went back to Judges 9 and we ran the verses. The fig tree represents the religious life of Israel. It doesn't represent the national life. And that's what, you know, Larkin and all the older boys say is that it represents the national life. And it doesn't. It represents the religious life. So literally here, when they see the fig tree budding, what they are seeing is the Antichrist back there in verse 14. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee into the mountains. What they are literally seeing happen is the Antichrist reestablishing the old covenant, the old Mosaic law in 220 days he will have reestablished the temple he will second thessalonians 2 be sitting on the throne as god claiming to be god causing all that's worship to come to him 
So when they, 13 verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 29, when you see that, then you know things are getting there. It's, it's, it's time for uh, the, the Son of Man, back in verse 26, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then in verse 30, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. So what the prophecy preachers do in mainline Christianity, the preterists, all of them do, is they misrepresent the fig tree as the national life. So then they go in and they say 1948 when Israel was uh, established as a nation. So that starts the time clock. So now we can divvy out and try to figure out when the return's going to be and the rapture's going to be. So they start all their number games and then they come to find out that it isn't there. But then in verse 30, they use that generation and the generation here in the context isn't the group of people in place when this is going to happen. Rather, that word generation, a majority of the time in Scripture, is talking about where you come from. Generate, the, the generation. And we looked at this uh, last time and the time before, when we went back to Genesis 4, where all of this starts, all of the Baal worship starts, all of the apostasy starts. And that's in Matthew 3, John the Baptist says, O ye generation of vipers. Well, who's the viper? That's, that's the, the devil, Satan. Then he says over there in uh, John, he says, You're of your father, the devil. You're generated by the devil. Um, in, ver- in 1 John 3, you're of that wicked one. So it's not talking about the people. He's talking about where they're coming from. Then in verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And basically, again, we looked at that. It's a great verse on the preservation of the scripture and the inspiration. But in the context, what he's saying is, is what I say is what will happen. (laughs) And what I say will be preserved. So now to verse 32, where where we're going to pick up. But... Of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye, not, ye know not when the time is. And that's an interesting answer to when is this, when's the time. Back in verse 4, tell us when shall these things be. The answer to it is you don't know. And you will not know. No one knows. And really, guys, the question isn't when. The question, the issue isn't when is this going to happen. The issue is verse 33. Take ye heed, watch and pray. Why? For you know not when the time is. So the when question is, and what the Lord is getting at here is the when when. That discussion isn't the issue because the answer to it is you don't, you can't know it. It's in the power of the Father. It belongs to the Father. So to ask the question that you can't know is really, guys, just a waste of time. Really the issue, come over to Acts chapter 1. The issue here is what are you doing waiting And again, what happens is, is 
all the you know mainline Christianity preterists, the the prophecy guys, they look at this and they say, well, <laughs> Jesus, he, you know that he isn't telling anyone. He's doing this. He's doing that. So we can figure this out, and and you just can't. Look in Acts one. Similar situation here. Acts 1, verse 6. Now, again, we're after the resurrection. He's just spent 40 days with them. Uh, he's been, uh, verse 3 there, he's, been, he's spent the, been seen of them 40 days and speaking of them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Then in verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. Now, notice something here very carefully. They ask the question, tell us. The ask here is, is, is an ask of interrogation, not just, hey, would you get the back door for me on your way out? It isn't that. It's, it's tell us. Now, notice what they are expecting. They're expecting him to restore again the kingdom to Israel. Now, Israel only know, has only known one kingdom up to this point, and that is a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, David covenant, Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant kingdom. They are not looking for the spiritual kingdom found in the hearts of men, as you hear the, 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 the naysayers say. Okay? They are not longing for a spiritual kingdom. They are longing for a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, Abrahamic covenant. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for anything else. And honestly, to say anything, to read into this, is just literally destroying what the Lord's doing here. Now watch verse 7. And he, and that's the Lord said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, they understood, the king, they understood the kind of kingdom they were to get. They understood that the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel. And they understood that Israel in her proper place, and, and the problem is, is they don't understand the timing of it. That's why 1332, what did he say? No man knows, the angels don't know, the son doesn't know. Why? Because it's, it's the father hath put it in his own power. The only, the information belongs to the father and no one else. It isn't that they couldn't know. In other words, they understood Daniel's timeline, Daniel 9, at, this, at Acts 1, 6 and 7's point here. It isn't that, it's just... It, does, it belongs to the Father to know the timing, not you. So, the, the, so when you go back to Mark 13, by the way, the asking again in Acts 1 tells you that they're very well aware of where they're at now on the timeline and what's moving through and where they're to be. But the issue, the meaning, uh, the timing question isn't the issue. And that's what he says there in verse 32. The issue is verse 33. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is come. You don't need, you don't need to know the timing. 
what you need to be doing is doing verse 33. You need to take heed. Pay it, and, and at the, verse 37, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You need to take heed. You need to pay attention to what's going on around you. Otherwise, you will be deceived away. You could be carried away by that deception policy that he's been talking to them about back up there in verse uh, 19, 20, 21, and 22, and 23. Those antichrists come in, and, they, and, and they're just pulling that elect away. You need to take heed. You need to watch. You need to, be, you, you need to pay attention so that you're not deceived. Again, the issue here isn't when. Okay, the, the, the Father has that taken care of. The issue is don't let the deception policy win you. Watch. Don't be, de- de- uh, don't be deceived. Don't get carried away. And what happens in verse 32 is <laughs> this verse gets to be a problem for people because of what it says. Notice what he says. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Only the Father knows the timing. Man doesn't know it. Now, think about this verse very carefully, what it does say and what it isn't saying. How did Jesus Christ know that no man and no angels knew that, know, know the timing? That's a picture of his deity, the omniscience of him, of him knowing everything. Yet the verse says, nor the Son, neither the Son. That's a picture of his humanity. Okay? By the way, so you have this, you have that, the picture of the Lord in the, the they call it the hypostatic union because they can't figure out how it's the, the 100% God and 100% man. And they, they, the, this new entity here. So in his humanity, son, as son, he doesn't know what's happening. Now, come over to Matthew 24, because only Mark really says it this way. If you look at Matthew 24... In verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father. And you come over to Luke 21. Luke 21. It's just fascinating that really it's Mark, Luke 21. He says, that you take heed to yourselves. Verse 34, verse 29, there's the fig tree. Verse 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. Verse 34, and take heed to yourselves, lest any... See how he doesn't even say it at all there. He just moves right on. And what that does, the reason is in John 15. Come over to John 15. And what you have here is you have the portraits of each of the Gospels coming into play. 
In John 15, the Lord is, he's talking to the, the apostles. They're in the upper room where the night before he dies. 15:15. Henceforth, I call you not servants. Now watch. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have learned of my Father, I have made known unto you. Notice that issue about the servant doesn't know. The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. Mark depicts the Lord Jesus Christ as the servant. So the, the servant knoweth not. So as the servant, Mark, go back there to Mark 13, 32, 13, 32. When he says the son, nor neither the son, he's, not ta- he's talking about the humanity side of the, of the Savior, of the Lord, and as servant, he doesn't know, okay? So in 1332, the information belongs to who? To the Father. Now, you can, this verse gets used in two ways that are, that are rather horrible. One, to question the deity of Jesus Christ. How can he be God and what? Not know. Okay, so it's a, an attack on the deity. But then, you, if you teach the deity, then you, and, and by the way, if you come in and teach this verse for what it says, then they say, not, you're, 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 not only are you denying the deity of the Lord, now you're denying his humanity. <laughs> but yet, you have to pay attention to what the verse actually says. The verse says what it says, and it is not denying his humanity nor his deity. And again, you have to catch what the verse says. Look at uh, Mark 13, 32, the end of the verse. Neither the Son, but the Father. Notice that the verse doesn't say, but God. Okay? It says, but the Father. So what the verse is going to deal with here is this relationship between the Son and the Father, not whether the Son is God. They're equal. They're on equal footing. They're equal members of the Godhead. They just have different roles, different responsibilities. In the men's fellowship, we've been looking at the Godhead. And there's different roles, there's different responsibility, and what Mark is demonstrating is the distinction, the distinctive roles that the Father plays and that the Son plays as they function within the Godhead. So we're talking about two different people. Come over to John 1, and you know the verse, verse 1. And what we have here is we have different and distinct persons, and they, therefore, they have different and distinct roles. They're all in. They're all one God. They just have this diversity. So when he says neither the Son but the Father, in the the Father, the role he he's in, he knows the Son his role. He doesn't know. It's not for him to know. It belongs to the Father. Now look at John one one. In the beginning was the Word. Capital W. Here's his name. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, come over to, hold on to here, and look at, you've got to get 1 John chapter 5. Because what tends to happen in the conversation, by the way, 1 John 5 verse 7 is the clearest verse uh, on, on the Trinity in Scripture. However, all the new Bibles yank it out, and they use the old line about the oldest and best, and it's not there. By the way, that's a lie, okay? <laughs> you want to test doctrinal statements of churches? Read their doctrinal statement about the, the Trinity, God, and run to the bottom and look in their line of references that they use and see if 1 John 5, 7 is listed. If it is, then pay attention. If it isn't, you can throw, throw it away. Notice 1 John 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Notice, notice the, the, the official titles of the Godhead, Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. The second person in eternity past and in eternity forward is called the Word. He is not called the Son. Okay? The Godhead, go back to John 1, 1, and there's a reason why. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is describing the second person of the Godhead. When someone, if you're going, how do you express yourself? You use what? Words. The Word. He is the second person of the Godhead who's going to speak for the Godhead. He's the chief speaker. You're in John 1. Look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son. By the way, begotten son. Now, now he's got can carry that title son. Okay? He's begotten twice, the incarnation and then the resurrection. Now watch, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Who declared the Father and his will? The only begotten son did. The word did. So we're talking about the relationship here. That's what we're dealing with. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. They're both God, okay, but they're distinct individuals. The greatest illustration is here we sit. We're all humanity, but we're all distinct people and individuals. And that's just exactly what the Godhead is, the Trinity. Trinity is not found in Scripture, but Godhead is. And uh, really, it's the Apostle Paul uses it and Peter uses it. But what you have here is you have this, there is a distinction between them, that, but yet there's a oneness in essence and being. So God, the race God, is made up Godhead, Godhood, uh, adulthood. By the way, adulthood is various people that are adults, childhood, various groups of children. We call that childhood. The, the word hood 
is, uh, is where head comes from in, 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 in the, uh, the, the, the Old English. But look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, who is the only begotten of the Father? Verse 18, the only begotten Son. So when Jesus Christ became man, what did he become? He became the only begotten Son. That's why in John 3.16 there, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When did he beget him? Again, at his birth, Acts 13, Paul quoting Psalms 2 says also at his resurrection. So he becomes the son, but what is his title? He is the word. Again, come over to Hebrews 10. And I'm not trying to belabor the point, but, but it's critical here because what happens is, is people use this passage and then they say, see, look, you know, he doesn't, he's not God because he doesn't know everything, but it's not what the verse is talking about. The verse isn't talking about the relationship between the, the son as inferior, but rather there's this intimate relationship between the father and the son. And when he becomes the son, again, in his incarnation, the relationship with the father what did he do? He came to express the word and the will of the Father. Therefore, he's called the word. If you look here at Hebrews 10, verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. When the Son came, when the Word was made flesh, what did he come to do? The will of his Father. So when you come back to Acts, or Mark 13, on your way, stop there in Philippians 2, and get in John 18, or John 10, sorry. Philippians 2. In Mark 13, if it had said only God, you know, neither the Son, but only God, then the Son would not have been equal to God. But it doesn't say that. So, we're, so Mark is talking about this relationship between the Father and the sons, the, the roles and responsibilities within the Godhead. When Jesus became man, he came to do and to reveal the Father's will. So there are things that the Father put out there for him to do and to say, and there are some things that the Father kept to himself. And didn't, didn't reveal. So we're not denying the deity or the humanity of Christ, but rather what Mark is doing is expressing the role that he has as the Son. 
look at Philippians 2, and look at just one real quick, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death. See that obedient to death? As God, as the second person of the Godhead, but then also as the, to- the Godhead in total, has never experienced death. Until when? Until the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and then he went and died. Colossians 2, he is the Godhead bodily. They experienced it. But if you look at John 10 and verse 18, notice what the Lord says. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Isn't that interesting? So the Father's got the plan and the will. So when you come back here to Mark 13, he says, look, guys, the issue isn't knowing. No man knows it. No angel knows it. The Son doesn't even know it. Only the Father, and it's in his power. He's, again, he's not talking about Jesus Christ not knowing something or, not, or know, knowing something and then not knowing. He's talking about his role as the God-man, as the servant, as the man Christ Jesus, the mediator, as redeemer, as the one who's come and is functioning and doing in that role that the will of the Father would have him do in. So don't think the, the verse here in verse 32, don't let them use the verse to say, well, you, you know, we're denying the, the, the deity of Christ and all that stuff. Don't let them do that to you. Just remember where you're at, okay? All right, back here, Mark thir- uh, 13. Mark 13. If you will look here at verse 33, take ye heed, watch and pray. That's a <laughs> for ye know not when the time is come. Why don't we know? Well, because no man knoweth. Only the, it's in the Father's power. So there, the things that belong in the he, it's not for me to do. It's not for me to know, guys. That's the wrong question. The question, the issue is that you, the issue is do is taking heed, watch. And pray. And again, that issue of prayer, that the sound doctrine, the truth here of what they've been educated by. I mean, the Lord's laying things out on them. The stuff they learn in Matthew and the stuff they learn in Luke and in John about the future and everything. Let's have all that work on you. By the way, verse 34, for the Son of Man. That's how you know who the Son is. Back up there in verse 32. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So he's going to work with them now about the danger that they're facing. And again, he's 
educating, he, he's going to be leaving the little flock. And when he leaves, he's going to leave them in charge of the ministry. He tells them, occupy until I return. Occupation. You got a job to do. Uh, that's in Luke 19. Look over there at Luke 19. We'll look at a couple, some of these parables here. Luke 19. This is the parable of the 10 pounds. Luke 19, verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now, again, what do they think? Timing. The ti See, they're so focused on when this is going to happen, the time, the time, the time, that they're missing the bigger picture. And he's trying to get them to see the big. There's a whole process here. Again, in, in Israel's history, you remember the Lord has that delay tactic. There's a delay. There's a delay. He goes to Moses and says, Moses, you go down to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. So Moses goes down there, tells him, let my people go. Then what does the Lord say? Okay, we're going to do that, but before we do that, I've got ten plagues. I've got something else to do. That will make the release of Israel just be that more glorious, that more tremendous. And he lays out the ten plagues, which destroy the ten major gods of Egypt, and then off they go. There's a delay. What do they? They think the kingdom should come immediately. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And again, that's the whole thing. He's going to go, he's leaving them. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. There it is. There's the Acts ministry. Occupation. Occup, occup, um, a job to do. Here you're going to go. I'm leaving. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. That's Acts 7, Stephen. And it came to pass that when he was returned, every word's important, that what? When, not when he returned immediately, but when he was returned, having received the kingdom. There's Revelation 5, there's Daniel 7. Then he commanded these servants, there's the little flock, Luke 12, 32, to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. There's a job to do, and then you, 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 he lays it out. Come over to chapter 12 of, of Luke. He's leaving them in charge of the ministry. So he's educating them to the danger that they're going to face. It's real. It's here. You guys don't need to worry about the, about the when is it going to be over. You just need to worry about when you're in it. You need to be praying that the sound doctrine that you've learned will grip you and take you and protect you and move you through. He's going to leave them in charge of carrying out their program. Again, when the Lord, that's why the Lord started talking in parables. Um, you got Luke 12. Run back over to Matthew 13. It's, it's just, just mind-boggling that when you see him teach in parables here, people just, they don't get what's going on. They try to make it into some fancy little story time and everything. 
in Matthew 13, verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is not given unto it, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not for, for, from him shall be taken away, even after he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So again, why does the Lord, from the Lord's very mouth, why is he speaking in parables? So the believing remnant, little flock, get it, and the apostate nation don't. So he gives us seven mystery parables. He takes two of them and defines them out for them and for us so that you can understand what's going on here and, and how to interpret them. But the thing is, is the parables, the underlining issue in the parables is that issue of the delay in his return. And, and here is how they were to think about that delay and to conduct themselves in that delay and not be carried away during the delay. And again, he, God deals over and over with Israel. Uh, think about Abraham. He says, Abraham, your seed is going to be a great nation, but you're going to go down there into Egypt, and you're going to be down there 400 years, and there's going to be a great horror of darkness, and then we'll take you out. And sure enough, what happened? That 400 years was a delay in them being what? The great nation that he promised them to be. Again, Moses, so the principle, the delay principle, over and over, uh, Luke 12, that's, I, I didn't know if I told you that, Luke 12, that's what he's doing here. See, he's promised them, but he says, I'm, I'm a, you know, three times he, he says, listen, you remember Lazarus, the his sister send word to the Lord, come, he's dying, and the Lord delayed coming. Why? Because he needed Lazarus dead so he could do some things to prove that he was Messiah. He says, I'm going to do this, but before I do that, we're going to do this over here. And what the parables are designed to do is bring all that to the forefront. Now look at Luke 12. And look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Now that's a very instructive verse because it tells you what the steward is. Paul says of you and I, we're, we're, to be, we're stewards, we're to be found faithful of the mysteries. What does the steward do? He's the ruler over his Lord's household. Okay? He's going to do what Mark 13, 34 said they were to do. He left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. That's what they're going to do. Now watch verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. By the way, that is exactly what Matthew 13 is all about. When this stuff is happening, here's what you're to be doing. You're the servants of a truth. 
I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. Now watch verse 45. But, and if thy, that uh, servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Wow! That is exactly what Mark is about. There is an opportunity, okay, for them to function in his absence. But... And if thy servant say in his heart, see that? There's an opportunity there for that servant to believe the false doctrine, to believe the deception program. And what the false doctrine is saying is the Lord is not coming back. Now, does that sound familiar to a passage in 2 Peter 3? <laughs> Go to 2 Peter 3. Somebody asked me today why I was wearing long sleeves. The air conditioning is on. That's why I'm wearing long sleeves. And today was a cool day. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's this people who do this. The faithful steward, the faithful servant, is going to stick with the doctrine that Jesus Christ gave them. Here's the doctrine. Here's the deception program. Here's what they're going to say. You need to stay the course because I'm going to come. I will return. I'm just going to be delayed. I got a couple things we got to get done. And then when I return, and you know what's going to happen? The deception program is going to just come and it's going to bombard the elect, that believing remnant, the little flock. And if you're not paying attention, you'll be carried away. 2 Peter 3, look at verse 3. Here they are. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Here's this people who, who are doing, what are they saying? The Lord delays. He's not coming. Look at this. They're scoffing at the idea of the Lord not returning. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Uh, the earth also and the works uh, there are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent." that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blame. That's exactly what Mark 13 is telling them. You guys need to take heed. You need to watch. You need to pay attention because he's, 
When he comes back, no man, nobody knows that. Only the Father does. And when he comes back, it's going to be suddenly, quickly. But watch verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all... Look, guys, if you want to understand the delay, what's delayed his coming? Go read Paul. Dispensation of grace. You see, we, that's exactly what he's saying back here. He says, listen, guys, you need to pay attention here. You need to watch. You need to pray. You need to keep walking by faith in the truth of the sound doctrine. Otherwise, that deception has the opportunity to get you. Look over at uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 second peter when uh when he says there that the man says in his heart back there in luke 12 um second peter chapter 1 look at verse 19 you see the there this is all a faith issue it's all a heart issue the delays come again that luke 12 the delay came he says it in his heart you know, he's bought into the bad doctrine. It's changed his mind about the Lord's return. Luke 1, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you, dwell, you do well, that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the dawn day, day dawn, and the day star arise, notice, in your hearts and that's the issue that day star that believe the believing remnant has to rise has this rising of the of the information in their inner man and that's going to give them the assurance that you know what he is going to return and that'll give them the capacity to hold on to endure until he does return uh, come back over to Luke uh, again, Luke 17. Get, a, get another uh, parable here, Luke 17. So what we have here in Mark 13, the end of this chapter, is, the, is this, hey guys, the when, that when question, the time question isn't the issue. No man knows it. The angels don't know it. The son doesn't know it. Only the father knows this. The issue is, is, you need to take heed, you need to watch, you need to pray, you need to pay attention. You need to keep that sound doc that light lit on that sound doctrine and that way you can hold on, you can endure and you can have that capacity to uh, make it through. Uh, Luke 17, if you will look there at verse 22. Luke 17:22. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. There's something wrong here, okay, with what's going on. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be 
in his day. Okay, so when he comes, guess what? It isn't going to be a secret coming. It isn't going to be a silent coming. All are going to see him. Mark 13, he's coming back in that power and great glory. Verse 25. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noe, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You want to see when he comes back, you know what they're doing? Verse 27 is they're carrying on with life as normal. That's all they're doing there. They're not giving God any thought, any time, any consideration. They're just carrying on as if nothing new under the sun was on board. In James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be of the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. See, what are they doing? They're just carrying on. They're not giving, they're not paying, back to Luke 17. They're not paying attention. And what's going to happen? The Lord's going to show up. And what's he going to do? He's going to destroy them. Now, what happens here? is people begin to use this passage to say that this is the rapture. And it's not the rapture. In the days, in the end of verse 27, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So what's the deal? Destruction. Watch verse 28. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What happened to Lot? He goes, same thing. They're not paying attention to what's going on. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You know what's going to happen? Just as it happened in Noah's day, just as it happened with Lot and Sodom, it's the same thing. It's going to catch them unexpectedly. He's as a thief in the night. They don't, they're not paying attention. They're not watching. They're not praying. They're just living life like it normally is. Verse 31. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Sometimes you ought to go back and study Lot's wife. You know what happened to Lot's wife? She got going and she turned around and she looked back. All of her stuff was in Sodom. All that stuff in verse 31 was back there in Sodom. She turned around and what she became? The pillar of salt. That activity, that all, by the way, all of that uh, action was right outside of what we now call the Dead Sea. In Scripture, it's called the Sea of Salt because that's where all that was to happen. The point is, is what was, where was Lot's wife's heart? It was all back there in the town. Now watch verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. 
That's exact, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. That's exactly what happened to Lot's wife. I tell you in the night, verse 34, again, judgment fell on her. Judgment happened. Now watch verse 34. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the one left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the one left. Taken how? In the context, the taking is in judgment, not rapture. The people taken here, they're taken in Why? They're not paying attention, and judgment is immediately. Now, how you understand that clearly is verse 37. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord, where are they taken? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. And that's Revelation 19, after the second coming and that great supper. It's going to take them about six or seven months to clean all that mess up out there. Come over to Matthew 24. So they're taken but they're taken in judgment, Matthew 24. So again, the end of Mark 13 here, he's talking about, hey, you need to pay attention, guys. You need to be on board here. Why? Because you can be taken in judgment. He can return. The timing isn't the issue. The issue is, is why you're waiting and why you're occupying and why you're doing and why you're carrying on ministry. You've got to be paying attention. Guard your hearts, because you'll be taken. Matthew 24, uh, verse um, 38, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Taken how? Taken in judgment. Taken in judgment. Verse 40, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth cometh. And that's the issue. The next chapter we'll have the ten, the, the, uh, the, the ten virgins. Five are foolish, and five are wise. <laughs> Why? Five are paying attention to what's going on. The other five weren't. They were taken. So when you come back to Mark 13, because the hour's up now, and we didn't get nearly into verse 35, <laughs> but we did finish the chapter, so we can say that, I guess. But if you look at verse 37, and what I, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Pay attention. Why? Otherwise you'll be taken. Otherwise you'll be deceived. You'll be carried away. So as he talks to Peter and James and John and Andrew, the major guys of the, of the twelve, the leaders of the little flock, he's pretty much telling them don't stop walking by faith. And you need to pay attention so you don't get carried away. 
the time, great dangers are on their horizon. Chapter 14, we'll get into the chapter 14 next time, and that's the most important week in human history as he's now going to go to Calvary. And the Lord's, stay the course, guys, stay the course. I'm leaving, and when I leave you, I'm going to give you a job to do, and you're going to have a job to do, and you need to pay attention, you need to take heed, you need to watch, you need to pray, you need to stay the course, because that adversary, that satanic policy of evil is aimed right at you, and the aim of it is to draw you away. It's to cause you not to be that faithful remnant. And if the adversary can cause the believing remnant not to be the believing remnant, then he causes Israel to not be usable by God to fulfill the kingdom promise. That makes God have to do something that his word says he would never do, and that is destroy Israel and do something else. Okay? So this passage is very critical. Now, we didn't get into verse 35 where he talks about, um, where he divides up the, 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 the nighttime, the time of darkness. And we'll look at that next time a little bit and catch some more stuff in verse 32. That's important to catch. The, um, Watch ye therefore, for ye knoweth not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning. And it's very important to, to understand how he why he divided it up this way and why he says it. By the way, evening, watch one, is the evening, that's 6 to 9 p.m. Watch two is midnight, that's 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The cock crowing, the third watch, is midnight to, to 3 a.m., and then the morning is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So you've got some critical information there that we just don't have the time right now to go through. We'll get it next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study and the look into these things and to see the setting of the stage that the Lord has set here as he now is, a, is headed to Calvary in just a couple days. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in it. In your name we pray. Amen.